Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. Perfect mercy is forgiveness for everything we've ever done wrong, and God misses nothing. That's the good news. And those who deny God and they deny his gift and they decide, I'm going to stand before God on my own. This is not going to be a pretty picture. And they are going to be banished from God's presence forever in a place of unspeakable terror and pain. But those who receive the gift, who accept the forgiveness, are made a member of God's family forever. And then they are able to spend the rest of eternity with God in the kind of world that our hearts have always yearned for. That's Greg Kokel, and he's our guest today on Focus on the Family with Jim Dilley. Thanks for joining us today. I'm John Fuller. You know, John, a phrase we often uh, use in the Christian community is to have a Christian worldview, and uh, that's not to intimidate. It's not complicated, actually. It's uh, just a way of looking at things the way God would look at things. What's the lens that he sees it all through? And we're going to talk today with a guest who really brings clarity when we're talking about that lens or that mm-hmm. Christian worldview. And I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, and as I said, Greg Kokel is here. Uh, he's been with us in the studio before. In fact, uh, our conversation with him last time was the best of 2021 uh, episode <laughs> of the program. Uh, Greg is an apologist, founder, and is the president of Stand to Reason Ministries. He's also the host of a talk show and the author of a number of books, including one we'll be really dialing into today. It's called The Story of Reality, How the World Began, How It Ends, and Everything Important That Happens in Between. And we have that here at the ministry. Just call 800, the letter A, and the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Greg, welcome back to Focus. It is such a treat to be back with you guys again. It just seems like yesterday. Yeah. You know, it's so good. thank you so much. I like the mic drop title of your book, The Story of Reality. Yeah. That kind of says it all right there, right? Yeah. Because we're always in this constant battle with the world about what their story is. And they think it's offensive to say, well, actually, we've got the real story. Yeah. And that is kind of the, the contrast between worldviews. That's right. Look, at when it comes to understanding the nature of reality, everybody's got their point of view, and everybody thinks their point of view is accurate. But it turns out it's only the Christian, it seems, for being faulted for thinking that their point of view is accurate. The title to me is really important. I was having a conversation with a uh, stockbroker once on the airplane. I fly a bit, and so I have these conversations. He asked me what I did for a living. And so I told him, I'm a writer, I do radio, and uh, he wanted to know what I write about and talk about, and I, I'm at a crossroads now because I want to tell him I write about religious topics, especially Christianity and making the case for Christianity, but I don't want him to think about my view the way most people think about religion. And the way most people think about religion is a kind of a religious fantasy club, and that's not my view. We're not talking about uh, our Christian fantasy. We're talking about events that really took place and people who really lived or events that are going to take place. So we're talking about history here. But the key here is communicating the kind of message that we're trying to defend. This is true. And we mean it's true the way gravity is true. Let's kind of back the tape up a little bit and talk about how you became a Christian. What was the details of that, and what was your mind like? Uh, You seem like a critical thinker. 
So before you encountered the Lord, were you a skeptic, or what kind of person were you? Well, I was raised in a Christian home, mo- a modestly Christian. I was raised in a Roman Catholic home, but for us, it, it really had no depth to it. And so when everybody grew up, all the five kids, we all left and so do my parents, okay? And then I spent mid-60s, a time of engaging the culture. And when you're 18 in the mid-60s and you have the, the this new culture emerging and all the things that are associated with it, you don't want to think about God and Jesus and purity and that kind of stuff. So for about six years, I embraced the ideas of the world. And then there's some dramatic things that happened in my life. Uh, one of them is my girlfriend of five years broke up with me, and that caused me to face the reality of my own worldviews, which are relativistic. I didn't believe in objective morality. I, I didn't believe in any ultimate meaning to life. But then I realized if that's the case, I'm all alone in the universe. Mm. And so that created kind of an existential crisis for me. I didn't become a Christian immediately. But what it showed me is that the ideas that I was holding that sounded so cool at the time, so popular with the culture, were not anything that was going to sustain me through the real challenges of life. And during that time, my younger brother Mark had become a Christian through the Jesus movement, and he just hammered away at me for months and months, and to be honest with me, got me thinking. And the Holy Spirit was working on me at that time, and uh, to make a long story short, I just came to the realization, I don't know how else to explain it, fellas, that Christianity was true. I know it now. It was the Holy Spirit working powerfully in my life. Mm -hmm. And then on September 28, 1973, that's when I gave my life to Christ, Mm -hmm. and I've been following him ever since. But the thing that made the big deal for me, the big difference, is understanding the grace of God, which I never understood before. Oh, I understood the law. I understood all the demands that were on me. But in the system I was raised in before, this was when you you got to work your way through those laws and do as best you can and then hope that you're going to heaven. That is the good news. That's what's so exciting about the Absolutely. Christian faith. And that's what makes it a joy to share with other people. Yeah. You know, when you talk about that, all other religions are man trying to reach up to God. Right. Christianity is the only one where he's reaching down to us. That's right. And see, that was news to me. Right. And that was really the good news because I was just sharing with someone the other day who was in a similar circumstance. And I said, do you know whether you're going to heaven or not? And he said, no, maybe, maybe not. I said, is that good news? He said, no, that's not good news. I said, but the gospel is good news. So what you believe is not the gospel. Well, let's get into that because I think in the book, you just raised some outstanding uh, concepts here. And let's, you know, take a look at the pieces of the puzzle as you describe them in the book. Uh, First about God and who is God is a first starting point. Sure. Is God real? Is God there? If yes, then what? Yes. Well, I break down the story of reality into five components just to make it easy to follow and easy for Christians to communicate with others. And this is the backbone of the story, and it is the basically the outline as well, okay? And those five words are God, man, Jesus, cross, resurrection. Here I mean the final resurrection to reward and judgment. Notice that you have all the components of a good story. You have all the components of a worldview, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. But um, but you also have our story writ large, so to speak. So our story starts with God. Then he creates man to be in friendship with him. And human beings get themselves in a heap of trouble. 
And so God initiates a rescue plan. And this is key about the Christian worldview. Yes. This is the only worldview in which man does not rescue himself because he cannot. Which this is, is exactly how God would do it. Exactly. That's what's so funny. So God sets up a rescue plan and becomes a human being himself to be able to rescue us. And he does that by the way he lives his life. So now we got God, man, Jesus. And the way he dies on a cross, that's the fourth point, and what we do about what he did for us determines what happens to everyone in the final resurrection. Mm -hmm. So we have how the world began, how it ends, and everything important. Well, we're going to hit these. So yes. the concept okay. of God again. The God is the beginning. And the reason that God is the beginning is because he's the first person, the first character, so to speak, in the story. And the reason is, is because the story is about God. It is not about us. We come second. And this is where I turn a, a certain Christian slogan on its head a little bit, and meaning no disrespect here. I really don't think it's about so much about God's wonderful plan for our lives as it is about our lives for God's wonderful plan. So mm. we're expendable in this program. That's we really well second. said. That's yeah. that's critical for people to slow down and hear that yeah, the, again. The, Say it. The culture doesn't go there either. Yeah. So it's more about our lives for God's wonderful plan. And so this emphasizes what the Bible emphasizes, that God is first. So when we start the story out, and this is explanation, gentlemen, not just for the Christian to get it straight, because for a lot of Christians, their, their story, their picture of reality is like a puzzle that's in a pile of pieces. They'd never put it together before. And this is what the story of reality is meant to do. Put it together in a sequential form so we can see the big picture. And the first part of that story is God. He's the center. He's the most important player. The story is about him, not us. Yeah. And you've addressed, I think, the second, which is man and his or her place in that relationship. That's right. Let me ask you a question that's so common uh, about evil. If God is so good, why does evil exist in this world? Yeah. Well, that comes up all the time. All it's the a time. classic question regarding Christianity and Christian theism. And um, in a broad sense, I'll say this about the book. Um, if you do not understand the story of reality, how it all fits together in an elegant way, then you are going to have a hard time with this question. But it turns out that the problem of evil is not the problem for the Christian that people think it is. And the reason is, our story is entirely about the problem of evil. It starts in chapter 3. It doesn't get solved until 66 books later, right? right. I mean, if there was no problem of evil, there'd be no story. Hmm. Our story is all about how God deals with evil in the world, all right? And the important thing about evil is that, first of all, it's part of our story. And secondly, our story is not over yet. And we find ourselves right now, fellas, in the middle of the story. And so we see all of these awful things happening. Why does this happen? It's because of something that happens in the beginning of the story. The world wasn't always like this. God made the world just exactly the way his noble mind intended. Mm. It was all good. And that means it was all operating just the way he wanted it to operate. But what happened, there's another figure in this story, and that figure is a very dark figure who tells our first parents a terrible lie. He says that the king cannot be trusted. He says that he's holding out on you. Do your own thing. Make your own rules. 
follow your own way, and freedom awaits you. Mm-hmm. And so they consider the temptation, they give in to lie, and they disobey. And in disobeying, they betray the friendship that God has made them for, and everything changes. Hmm. Everybody knows, by the way, that the world's in darkness, and this is something you can count on. It doesn't matter who you talk to or when, when they lived or where they lived. Everybody knows that something is wrong with the world, okay? Mm-hmm. And we have a way of explaining why the world is that way, but not just why, how to solve it. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the most powerful elements of the Christian story of reality. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Oh, hey, Mike. Got here as soon as I could. What's going on, man? Hey, I just wanted to give you an update on my marriage. Is it good news? Yeah. Our marriage is going great right now. I couldn't be happier. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. It's like a solid 5 out of 10. (laughs) Having a marriage that's just okay isn't where couples really want to live. Give yourself and your spouse an all-inclusive weekend where you'll slow your pace and focus on each other. Get more details at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. I'm here asking people how they could both give and get. I don't know. Maybe love? Yeah, you could both give and get love. True. But it's also possible with a charitable gift annuity. You get a secure source of fixed income and a charitable tax deduction. Plus, giving a charitable gift annuity to focus on the family helps families thrive for generations to come. I love that. Find out more. Go to FocusPlannedGiving.com. That's FocusPlannedGiving.com. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. That's so good, Greg. And man, it's really succinct the way you're laying this out. So God, man, now Jesus. Right. The third part of this uh, story. Uh, What is Jesus's role? What did he come to do? So here's the situation. Man's in a terrible circumstance. He has broken off from God. He has no hope in himself. He is lost. I mean, he's in trouble. He needs to be rescued. He can't rescue himself. He's unplugged from the only source of life that's available for himself, and he can't plug himself in. So now what? God initiates a rescue plan, and it's the most remarkable idea imaginable. God decides to become a man in the person of Jesus. And so we have a question now. Who is Jesus? Who was he? Well, he was a human being. I mean, he had all human qualities, had all human emotions. He went through the kinds of things that you and I went through. He was one of us. Therefore, he can identify with us as a human. We can identify with him as a human. He knows what it's like to be in our shoes as we walk a difficult life day by day. But he was more than that. It's interesting when you look at the beginning of Jesus' story. His story starts, in the beginning was the word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In other words, the beginning of Jesus' story is the same beginning as the story itself. That is, this person that's called the Word is the very same one that was there at the beginning making everything. And then later it says, He became flesh, He dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Mm. In other words, God stepped down. And I want you to think about 
if you have children or grandchildren and they're scared, they're crying, they're in trouble, they're frightened, how would you comfort them? How would you meet their need if they were injured or they're skinned their knee? Wouldn't you bow, bow down a little bit? Wouldn't you, you get, get down low? eye to eye? You get eye to eye. And this is exactly mm-hmm. what God did. He came down. He got low. He got small by becoming a human being so he could be there with us. Emmanuel, God with us, is such an important thing. Yeah. And and let me just add, Greg, uh, I mean, you are really hitting it out of the park. I mean, you're right there. There's so much depth to what you're saying. We're not going to be able to cover it today. And that's one great reason to get the book. But there's so much in there about covenant relationship and, you know, the blood sacrifices that were given, which is part of the Jewish culture and tradition and part of God's relationship to the Jewish people. These are things you have to continually dig into to better understand. And what you'll find is it gets more and more awesome. I mean, the way it fits together, the things that you're saying at this level right now, the more you dig into it, the more you realize, wow, God really did have a plan. It it, it is a mind blower when you think about that. It is. It is. And I, you know, we've got to keep it moving here, (laughs) but but I, you could just sit and talk for hours Mm -hmm. about these concepts and these realities, your book, The Reality. I think this is a strength of the book in that it's a primer of sorts. It touches on the key points of theology that are central to the Christian worldview, but it does it in a way that's accessible, not only to the Christian, to the younger Christian, to the older Christian who doesn't have it all together, hasn't put all the pieces of the puzzle together in one picture. But I, I wrote this book constantly for the non-Christian who's reading it. It's not thick with Christian lingo. It is very easygoing. It is a, it's a narrative kind of feel, and yeah. no one will ever be embarrassed to give this book to their non-Christian Right, friends. which is great. And again, it's much like an onion. You just keep peeling spiritual truth, and mm-hmm. it just keeps going in, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Let, we've talked about God, man, the rescue plan in the form of Jesus, God coming to be with us, and being the sacrifice for us. Sure. Let's move to the cross. Okay. Now, this is the next step. I ask the question, who was Jesus? Now, what did he come to do? And first thing he did is he came to live the life that we never lived. He lived the perfect life for us. Okay. And then he took on that cross all of our bad stuff so that we can get his good stuff. There's an exchange that took place there. Okay, and this is sometimes hard for people to understand. So I was explaining to a young lady on an airplane from Jacksonville to Miami. She was Muslim. She was a sweetheart. We got into this conversation about God, and I was just trying to simply show the difference between her God and our God. And I said, if somebody had uh, was a terrorist who came on this plane and was going to drag her off the plane, and of course, when I say this word, I'm whispering now, you know, on the airplane, but I put my arm in front of you and I said, don't take her, take me instead. What would you think about that? And she said, I can't imagine anyone ever doing that for me. And I said, that is what God has done for you. Yahweh, not Allah. Jesus, not Muhammad. God came down in the person of Jesus, and he said to the Father, take me instead. That's the trade. And that trade took place on an outcropping of rock that the locals called Golgotha, the place of the skull, but we know it as Calvary, the place of the cross. Mm. And that is where Jesus took the trade. We got his righteousness 
and he got our sin. Every sin that every person had ever committed, the weight of that was poured out upon Jesus and the wrath of God in those three hours when, when darkness shrouded the cross so that at the end Jesus could say, it is finished. In other words, it's accomplished. I paid for it all. We are now in a position to release ourselves of all of that guilt, the kind of guilt that I was concerned about mm-hmm. as a, as a non-Christian. And then I realized there was grace for me as a Christian. We release that to Jesus and we receive the goodness that he has earned in his own life. That's the trade. He gets our badness, we get his goodness. Yeah. It's called justification. It's called substitutionary atonement. But I like the word gospel. Good news. And Greg, this is so good. And um, I mean, what a a basic good concept to cover. And uh, I'm just, you know, I'm bubbling here with (laughs) things to talk about. We're going to wind down here, unfortunately, with the time. But Mm -hmm. okay, so we've hit God, man, Jesus, uh, crucifixion, the cross, Cross. the need for that. Now we're going to the resurrection. Yeah. Yeah. Now what Jesus did on the cross is available to us. All we have to do is take it as a gift, put our trust in him. And that's what the story calls faith. Not a leap of faith, but a step of trust. And I have soft apologetics all through the book to tell why we should believe these things are actually true. But this takes us to the last step, the final step of the story. God, man, Jesus, cross, resurrection, final resurrection. At the end of time, one of two things is going to take place. Everybody's going to be raised from the dead, that's for sure. But one of two things is going to happen, either perfect justice or perfect mercy. Perfect justice is punishment for everything we've ever done wrong. No atonement. No atonement. And God misses nothing, by the way. He's making a list and he's checking it twice. But perfect mercy is forgiveness for everything we've ever done wrong, and God misses nothing. That's the good news. And those who deny God, and they deny his gift, and they decide, I'm going to stand before God on my own. This is not going to be a pretty picture. And they are going to be banished from God's presence forever in a place of unspeakable terror and pain. But those who receive the gift, who accept the forgiveness, are made a member of God's family forever. And then they are able to spend the rest of eternity with God in the kind of world that our hearts have always yearned for. Mm. C.S. Lewis again, the door that we've been pushing on all of our lives will finally open. And that's the best news. It is. And Greg, I I think I just want to convey for that person that is struggling right at that point that hasn't really understood this, that... You know, that issue of human pride and flesh. And, That's right. You know, I would never ask God to do that for me if God is real. I mean, I should take care of that stuff myself, mm-hmm. right? That, and that is a form of pride. Yeah. And I think the, the hearing you express it the way you did, which is correct and true and right, some people are going, well, wait a minute. I don't know why that would be necessary. Um, why, why would God have to die for me? I mean, pull that together a little tighter. Uh, all right. Everybody because it, knows. it feels like guilt. Yes, of course. Well, everybody knows, I mentioned earlier, that there's something wrong with the world, but there's something else that everybody knows, that the problem with the world is them, that everybody realizes there's something inside that's broken 
okay? And that thing that's broken is badness. And they hold it from other people, but they can't get away from the guilt themselves. So we have this need, and God loves us enough to satisfy what's required so that he can forgive us of that guilt. Mm. Paul said he was the greatest of sinners, but God forgave him, which means he can forgive any else. And and gentlemen, if there's anyone thinking right now, God can't rescue me, I promise you what Jesus did on the cross on your behalf is fully adequate to forgive even mm. the sins that you have if you turn to him and ask him to do so. That's the good news. And that will save you so that at the end, you will know that you will be with him forever just the way he intended in a wonderful friendship with him. Yeah. You know, Greg, this has been probably one of the best half hours in terms of spiritual truth that we've done at Focus. And we always talk here, and Dr. Dobson even would say this so often, that, you know, we can help a family uh, improve their marriage, improve their parenting. But if we haven't pointed people to the author of the family, we kind of failed. And I certainly have... Uh, continued that tradition of recognizing that truth, that salvation and embracing the gift, That's right. meaning Jesus, that he is the son of God. That's mm-hmm. what Greg means by that, that you say yes, yes, mm-hmm. and you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus is the son of God, mm-hmm. is God. Um, that's the distinction. And this is why, by the way, Jesus is the only way of salvation. Correct. He's the only one who solved the problem. And so when you see the big picture, the story of reality, you realize how God solves the problem of evil in a singular solution through the person of Jesus, which is why he's the only way. Yeah. So listen, if we haven't captured your imagination here, then, uh, you know, we're going to keep praying for you and ask the Lord to keep opening up your eyes. But if you know somebody, or if it's you that really needs to read this great book, The Story of Reality, which again, Greg, I love the title. It just kind of lays it out there. Um, forget the news. <laughs> this is the real news, the good news. And mm-hmm. uh, we want to get it into your hands. If you can support Focus on the Family, uh, monthly would be great, but if you can make a one-time gift, that's great too. And we'll send you a copy of Greg's book, The Story of Reality, as our way of saying thank you. And all those proceeds go right back into all this effort, introducing people to Christ, uh, helping a marriage uh, survive and to thrive, mm-hmm. and helping parents do the job they need to do. In addition to saving preborn babies. I mean, we're Sorry. almost near a half a million babies saved through that program. We are about life because God has created each one of us unique and in his image, as you said, Greg. So we're going at it every day on every cylinder that we can. And Greg, you really have set the foundation for what we do. So thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you guys again. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Go ahead and uh, follow up on what Jim was offering. Uh, Contact us to get a copy of this book to learn more about Jesus Christ and eternal life. Uh, We're here. Our number is 800, letter A in the word family. And online, uh, we have all sorts of great resources. The starting point is a phone call, 800, the letter A in the word family. Or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Well, on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today. Plan to be with us next time. We'll have hope for those who are trying to survive divorce and single parenthood. And we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break here and then return with another faith-building program for your family. Stay tuned. 
planning a wedding is hectic. It is cumbersome. I think my favorite part about it was the cake testing. We found her dress on a sale rack at the bridal store. At our wedding rehearsal, I decided that it'd be really fun if I could walk out to the Iron Man theme song. The day before our wedding, it snowed a foot and a half. But it's also a very joyful time, so it's one of those stressful, joyful times. Well, planning a wedding can be exciting and crazy and busy and an adventure for the engaged couple and their families. Managing all those details and solving problems, and hopefully you find ways to get along with everybody and you experience God's presence and peace in the process. Uh, We're going to be talking about weddings today on Focus on the Family uh, with your host, Focus President and author Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller. John, I don't know how things went for you and Dina, but for Gene and I, uh, we had uh, planned our wedding in a matter of weeks. Hmm. Uh, It just came fast, and because we had this opportunity where we could present these drug and alcohol abuse shows around the country, but we had to get married. It was crazy. We didn't have a date yet set, and uh, we'd been engaged for about a year. And then I get this phone call from a friend one night, and uh, I was at my brother's house. Gene was over (laughs) having dinner with us, and I put the phone down. I said, "Uh, can we get married in six weeks and head off on this long work (laughs) tour? She was like, can we call him back tomorrow? (laughs) It was funny. You should have seen the look on her face. Uh, You know, she's a planner. So we prayed about it and felt like it was the right thing to do. And man, God bless Jean for being spontaneous in that moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe in hindsight, it wasn't the smartest decision, but it really did work out well for us. And we spent nine months together uh, traveling the country. It was great. It was a good start for a long-term marriage. It was. Uh, When couples start that planning process, it's like a roller coaster of emotions and decisions and stress, like you heard in the clips. One danger is putting all that time and energy into the ceremony, but not really preparing well for the rest of your marriage. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's so important, not only for the couple getting married, but also for parents and friends and other family members to think about so that you can support and encourage this couple in the years ahead. And that's why we want to explore this topic today with our guest, Lucille Williams. And Lucille is the Women's Director at Shepherd of the Hills Church in Porter Ranch, California. Uh, She's married to Mike, and he's one of the pastors there. They have three grown children and three grandchildren, and Lucille has written a book that will be the basis for our conversation today. It's called From Me to We, A Premarital Guide for the Bride and Groom-to-Be. Check that out at focusonthefamily.ca. And Jim, here's how you began the conversation with Lucille Williams on today's Focus on the Family. Lucille, great to have you here at Focus. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Now, first of all, I'm going to tell you, uh, you are too young to be a grandmother. I mean, my goodness, well, that's crazy. You. It's so funny. Okay, well, thank you I very mean, much. I can go now. That's John wonderful. and I are not grandparents, and we're jealous. <laughs> I mean, I have teenagers at home. What are you doing? You must have married really young. I did. I did. I was 19, two weeks after my 19th birthday. Okay. Took a stroll down the aisle. I was saying, you know, or it's divine intervention, something here, because I'm sure you get that a lot. There's no way you're a grandmother of three. Um, (laughs) But talk about those chaotic early years. I mean, a lot of people now, especially in the Christian community, our former board member, Al Mohler, who's the president of Southern Seminary. He has blogged and talked a lot about the importance of lifting marriage up to our young people. You know, so many young people are waiting to their late 20s, and it's hard to control those passions. The scripture even talks about that. 
And he says, and I, I tend to agree, don't let that burn inside you. Get married younger. It's a beautiful thing. The gift of marriage is the right thing. So you obviously chose that path. How did you and Mike meet and how'd you get together? We got together when um, I was actually in the high school. I, we went to the same high school and he lived across the street from the high school that I was attending. Yeah. I was 17 years old. And I used to get out of my last class and run to his apartment. <laughs> well, now you got to clarify what was going on. Well, you need to know we were not Christians and not even close to being Christians. Okay. And so at 17, I had a boyfriend who had a good job and a car and he was great and he was fun and he had his own apartment and we would hang out regularly at his apartment. So not long after, I mean, obviously within two years, you guys got married. That was a good decision, by the way, for all listening. That's the right way to do it. Yes, and, it's the uh, right way to do it. When, when did you make that commitment to Christ? Did you do that as a couple or when did that happen for you and Mike? That was later. We had been married for about five years and it was rough. A lot of fighting, terrible things were happening in our marriage. I mean, I understand when couples come in and they'll say to me or my husband, we're in a rough marriage. It's tough. We get that. We know what that feels like. And it, it's it's horrible. It's one of the worst things you can be is be in a bad marriage. And we were in a really bad marriage. So when you talk about from me to we, I mean, th this is deep. This isn't just a high level kind of fun thing. You guys had a transformation in your lives, your hearts and your marriage. Completely. When we got married, it was it was all me. I was trying to get what I wanted. He was trying to get what he wanted. I was pursuing a career, and I told him, don't get in my way, buddy, because you're going to get kicked aside. If you know, Well, what if you have to go? Then I go. And he's like, well, what do you mean? And so he was trying to control me, and I was nasty, and we were always fighting. Sometimes we would fight for two weeks and not talk to each other for two weeks. It was, it was, I don't know how we even stayed together for okay, those five so now, years. I've got to ask you, so today when you have a disagreement, what's it look like as believers? Oh, it's, <laughs> well, we're talking 35 years later. Yeah. So it's completely completely different. And we have learned to diffuse each other really quick, really, really quick. That is so wonderful. I mean, that to me is life. What you're describing there, this is the way it should be, especially if you're a non-believer. And we have a number of, of non-Christians that listen to the program. We want to encourage you to get on the track with uh, knowing who Christ is and where he can take you. And your testimony is part of that. Um, in that regard, talk about the the desire to reach young people and to help them do it better. What do you think are the key things when it comes to doing a wedding and all that planning in a better way? I think that right from the start went from dating and from when the from the time when couples are engaged, it's that groundwork for what the marriage is going to look like later. Things that are said can't be taken back. That period of time is just a short period of time, but your wedding and the wedding day is one day and then your marriage is forever. Right. So don't sacrifice a planning period and one day for what your forever future is. Yeah. In fact, you and Mike had a pretty interesting wedding, right? We <laughs> when did. you go back to it, what went right and what went wrong? We had a lot of things go wrong on our wedding day. <laughs> Describe it. I was at my house. He was at his house. Uh, just tensions were flaring. He and I got on the phone. We got in a big fight. We're on your wedding day. On our wedding day, we're screaming at each other. Terrible things were said. Vulgarities were said to each other. We were just slinging words <laughs> like crazy. And um, all of a sudden, my brother-in-law gets on the phone. My husband's 
brother. Older brother? Uh, older brother. <laughs> I knew it was the, the older brother. Christian older brother. Oh, good for we him. We weren't a Christian at the time, but he was. Yeah. And he talked to me and he calmed me down. And I remember saying to him, I'm not going to marry him. He's a big jerk. And <laughs> my brother-in-law just calmed me down. And next thing you know, my husband was back on the phone. Of course, he wasn't my husband at the time. Right. And the wedding was well, back on. in a on. few hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, he was going to be in a few hours. Yeah. That's crazy. Most people are going, why did you not say, stop the ship, stop everything? Uh, you still went through and you got married. We did. The way our life was, that was normal. That was normal. I mean, even like when we were engaged, that was just the way we interacted with each other. We didn't know that there could be any other way. I want to get to the honeymoon. <laughs> there had to be more fireworks on the honeymoon. Okay, well, something actually happened on the honeymoon that my <laughs> I husband... I can't believe it. Yeah. yeah. Who my husband thought? told me, he said... <laughs> Don't ever tell anybody that this happened. Uh-oh. Well, he let's made tell me six promise. million people. Yeah, exactly. He made me promise. He's like, no one will know. We never even told our children. Do you need to call him right now so, and get permission? Uh, well, actually, it's it's in the first chapter of my book. Okay. So, Mike, this is already out there. Don't It's already don't call out there. Me. So he, Yeah, but before I could write it, I called him, and I said, honey, I, I have this opportunity. I've got to write that story. I just got to write that story. What was it? And he had to pray for a day, and then he finally said, okay, go ahead. So what happened... We took a cruise for our honeymoon, and I mean, cruises are wonderful. They do everything for you. We were having a great time. We were dancing at night. We were seeing the sights during the day. It was wonderful. And then the last night we were there, they wanted our luggage. So well, I thought I'd prepare be... prepare the luggage, and you yeah, put it outside right. the door. You put, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I thought I'd be brilliant, and I told my husband, hey, we'll just keep the clothes on that we're wearing, and then tomorrow morning we'll just put the same thing on, and we'll have less things to carry around. He wasn't too sure about it, but he's like, all right, you know, let's do it. So that night we were we were with friends because we had met a, a lot of other honeymooners, and and um, we were sitting at this table and it was oval shaped and we were the, we were inside the oval so it was people to his side and those people to my side and he and I were real close because you know it's our honeymoon so we're sitting close and Uh-oh. holding hands <laughs> and all of that and all of a sudden he put his head back and he started vomiting. <laughs> Like a volcano, like an eruption. It's one of those cruise ships. And you thought it was, yeah, you thought it was over and it just kept coming. And it just kept coming and it's falling all over him. It's falling all over me. And and, And people are scattering. Finally, yeah, we think he's done, but then he's not done. And more comes out and we're just, and so then finally it's done and we're sitting there and it was just like that, oh. (laughs) And we are so humiliated. We're both just sitting there just, and everyone's looking at us. What do we do now? No one said a word, <laughs> not one word, no snicker, nothing. And so he and I just kind of like sat there and the people got out so that we could get out. And so we walk out and we go up to our room and now we're covered in vomit. He vomited, but it was on me and it was on him. It was on both of us. Even though he's the one that vomited, it landed on both of us. Oh. And I was like, wow, this is what marriage is like, I guess. And, <laughs> no. and so I had to find some soap. And um, I went into the bathroom, and I had our clothes. And I remember looking at these vomited clothes, yeah. clothes with I was yeah, looking at these it. clothes with vomit <laughs> all over them. And they're they're sitting in the sink, and I'm trying to wash it out. And I stopped. And at 19, I looked down, and I thought to myself, "This is marriage. This is what marriage is." Oh wow! Because you don't know what marriage is until you jump in. And all of a sudden, I was just hit with that reality: this is marriage. It was like, <gasps> uh oh. 
What now? Yeah, what now? You got to tell us the end of the story. What happened? What'd you do? <laughs> Clean that stuff up and we cleaned put the it clothes up. back on? We cleaned it up. We hung up our clothes the next morning. Our clothes were still wet, but mm-hmm. we had to put them on. And, you know, fun fact, your clothes dry quicker when they're on your body. That's a, that's a horrible story. Yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> okay, let's talk as a parent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a little daunting. I... I'm talking to Trent and Troy about it, mm. but I don't know that I've had the right conversations mm-hmm. with them other than about keeping themselves yes. pure for mm-hmm. marriage and for their future spouse. Yeah, those are tough conversations. What happens is, you know, we, we fall in love and it's like we're on drugs yeah, and, and you true. cannot think straight. You cannot think straight. You have to have people around you that can think straight and help you. So just recently I put on com my site, L-U says, and it's uh, the marriage material quiz. And I'm getting a really great response there because people need to know, is this person going to be an Ephesians 5 husband or wife? And so I put this quiz on there so they can just kind of evaluate because sometimes, you know, as parents, you can go, I don't know. I'm not sure that this person would be a good spouse, but they're in love and they're in the clouds and everything is so wonderful. So sometimes they need another voice coming in and going, did you consider this? Did you think about that? Do you have any idea what this means in the long run? Yeah. And people sometimes don't realize that. So that's why I have that on my site on com, so that people can go and say, okay, I'm going to take this quiz and see if this person I'm dating is marriage material. Hmm. But now let me ask you though, Ephesians 5, you said that very quickly, yeah. but to, to kind of fill that out. What is Ephesians 5 talking to us about? What does that mean to someone who may not be familiar with Ephesians 5? Well, right out of the gate as a woman, it says... Be subject to your husbands. Ladies, be submissive to your husbands. The Bible tells us that over and over. And I remember as a young bride, when I first became a Christian, well, I wasn't a young bride because I was five years in when we became Christians. You were 24. uh, Yes, (laughs) young person. Go ahead. And... I remember when I first read that, I was so angry. I'm like, I've been fighting with this guy all these years, and now I have to be submissive to him? Are you kidding me? There's no way that's going to happen. And I got so angry. I would get mad with God because when I would read Scripture, then I knew I had to do it. And so I was like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not doing this one. And I would get so mad. But then I said, okay, okay, God, this is what you say, so I'm going to give it a try. (laughs) I'm going to give it a try. (laughs) And what I learned is that Yielding is love. Huh. We yield out of love. You yield because you love them and you're saying, okay, well, it's just considering them. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're under or less than or somehow um, not up to par. It means that you love them and you're willing to yield. Lucille, you're on probably one of the most volatile aspects of Scripture in our modern age. I mean, because many, many young women struggle with this. And so do many young men, because they don't know what it means to lead. Mm-hmm. And fill that in a bit more. I get that. That is beautifully and wonderfully said. But you're right there at the crossroads of culture where it is hard to say, okay, Lord, describe for us what that meant to submit to Mike. Mm-hmm. What So many people that I talk to in the media, for example, they don't get this. They don't understand it. It's it, They're it's in that angry concept. spot. They think, what mm-hmm. is this? But describe how that works in modernity. What does it mean for a couple to really submit to one another? Yes, yes. When I have young ladies come to me and they say, my husband's not a leader. He's not a leader. I always look at them and say, you know what the definition of a leader is? It means someone's following them. So if they're not a leader, maybe you need to be a better follower. Hmm. And 
we're so quick to put it on the men. Oh, he's not spiritually or he's not doing this. He's not doing that. He's not doing. And I say, whoa, 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 hold it. What is he doing right? Tell me what he's doing right. Tell me what you love about him. Now follow that man. And the more you follow him, the better leader he's going to be. And women miss that. They Mm. miss that. But in scripture, it tells us that as a wife, you submit to your husband. And... But what does it say to the husbands? Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Now, that feels impossible at times, i got to tell you, from the male perspective. It's like, Lord, you're perfect. I'm not. Exactly. (laughs) So what is harder, you tell me, to be submissive to your husband or to love your wife as Christ loved the church? I mean, that's an impossible task. And so what I like to do when I'm frustrated with something my husband is doing, I like to go to Proverbs 21 where it says, the king's heart is like channels of water in the Lord's hand. He directs it wherever he wishes. Mm. And what I do is I take the word king and I put Mike in there. (laughs) And I say, okay, God, he's yours. I'm listening to him and I'm following him because I follow and I trust you. So basically, when we trust God, we can trust our husbands. Wow. I mean, I'm with you. And that is what the scripture says. I just think so many women right now, especially single women and just married women, are going, are you sure, Lucille? You don't know my husband. <laughs> but and you've I heard get it that. all. You've heard I the excuses. I do get that. And you know what? You don't know my husband. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's a wonderful man, and I love him, but he's a man. And men are men. Women are women. We're all broken. We're all broken, and we need to learn how to be broken together and give each other kindness and forgiveness and just be willing to say, okay, let's start over. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. You know that situation your family's facing? It's okay to ask for professional help. Focus on the Family's Christian Counselors Network can confidentially point you to a trusted therapist near you. We've been connecting families to verified Christian counselors for more than 40 years. Find a way forward for your family at focusonthefamily.com slash gethelp. That's focusonthefamily.com slash get help. Oh, hey, Mike. Got here as soon as I could. What's going on, man? Hey, I just wanted to give you an update on my marriage. Is it good news? Yeah. Our marriage is going great right now. I couldn't be happier. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. It's like a solid 5 out of 10. <laughs> Having a marriage that's just okay isn't where couples really want to live. Give yourself and your spouse an all-inclusive weekend where you'll slow your pace and focus on each other. Get more details at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Lucille, you mentioned, uh, in essence, those expectations for a a couple that's uh, engaged. Let's lay those out. Let's go back there to what are healthy expectations for an engaged couple to expect in marriage. Do you have a, a tick sheet that you can give us two or three? What are those things they really need to remember from the day of their wedding on forward? When you get married and you choose one person to spend the rest of your life with, you now love them so much. And with that love also comes the ability to be hurt. And so what happens is we get married to someone who we think is always going to fill us up, always going to make us feel great, always going to do the right thing and do what we want from them. And then all of a sudden they hurt us because 
they can hurt us more than anybody else. That and vulnerability exactly, and intimacy. Yeah. Exactly. And that's going to happen. That's one of the things that you need to be prepared for, which is why we need to safeguard the marriage before it starts and read books like From Me to We to help safeguard your marriage so that you are ready. And in From Me to We, there's 88 discussion questions. Give us some examples of those 88. Well, one of them is, if your spouse turned you down for sex, how would you feel? That's something you want to talk about before you get married. Another one, did you grow up in a home where it was easy or difficult to share your needs and desires? We need to be able to share what we need and what we desire from our spouse. It doesn't mean they're always going to say yes and they're always going to do what we want or what we think we need, but we, we need to be adults and be able to say, this is what I need from you. So often couples get married and they don't know how to express what they need from each other. Well, that is so true. And that does take maturity. Uh, you compare marriage to a pile of dirty laundry. <laughs> you got to tell me how. Well, when, when you get married, all of his stuff, all of your stuff, all the dirty stuff, all the stuff you've got buried, it's like, it's like you have a floaty in the pool and you're trying to hold it down and you can hold it down through the engagement process, but you can only hold it down for so long. And then all of a sudden, it's just going to shoot up. And yeah. all that stuff that you try to hide about yourself, all the things that you don't want to tell anyone, all the things in your past that you're like, I don't want to talk about this. If they knew this about me, maybe they would reject me. You've got to let that out and talk about those things and let them love you. Well, and that goes along with another concept in the book where you talk about not keeping secrets as a couple. Mm. That can be, you know, when I first read that, there's counselors that'll be on both sides of that and we need to recognize it. Not that you want to keep secrets from each other, but some would say discretion is important, especially for your past life and all those kinds of things. But give me your philosophy on that and the biblical connection to it. Secrets are not good. And when I got married, I had a big secret. And obviously I couldn't hide it anymore because I was married. And my secret was that I had an eating disorder and I was making myself vomit throughout the day and I had no control over it and at all. And now Mike was seeing this. And so Mike noticed it and I convinced him at first, oh, it's no big deal, honey. It's just the way I keep my weight down. It's fine. So he bought it at first. But then he did a little research on his own, which was hard to do because it was back in that 80s era when people didn't really talk about that. And all, most of the women were like skinny, skinny, skinny. And the eating disorders, you know, people didn't really know about eating disorders at the time. And then he realized, oh, this is serious. And so he came back. He's like, you could die. This is serious. You, you cannot do this. You have to stop. But I couldn't. Huh. I had no control over it. I couldn't. So then... He went and he told my friends. He called all of my friends and he told them, do you know what she does? He called my parents. He told them they had no idea. He called his parents. Anyone that cared about us, he told them because he didn't, he didn't know what to do. What was so, your initial reaction to that? Were you I, offended? I wasn't. Like for some reason I knew that it, he was trying to get me help and he didn't know what to do. And so he was trying to save me. Hmm. And I had one friend who kept calling me and she said, Lou, you have to get help. That's what you need to do. You have to get help. And she was a Christian friend. I wasn't a Christian at the time. She was a Christian friend, and she was right. So I had to go get help. And so I went into therapy for a couple of years, and it was at the end of my therapy that I actually accepted Jesus Christ. Oh, my goodness. So that was a, a, a pathway to you 
accepting Christ. It was. What a beautiful spiritual picture of mm-hmm. the way it should work. Uh, Only Luc- the Lord, right? Lucille, exactly. This has been so much fun. And and if I could ask you really to summarize from me to we, what is the goal? What are you trying to say? Me to we is a book that helps couples get on the same page. We need to not be me-focused and self-centered. If you're going to go into marriage and you're going to be self-centered and me-focused, you are in for a lot of pain. And not only are you in for a lot of pain, but you're going to cause your spouse who you're vowing to love and honor for the rest of your life, you're going to cause them a lot of pain. Marriage is about sacrifice. It's about being willing to say, okay, I blew it. I blew it. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Let's start over. God lets us start over, and we need to let our spouses start over as well. We need to apologize. Mm. We need to forgive. We need to start over. We need to start fresh, and we need to leave room so that God can work, and we need to leave room so that our spouse can grow and become the person that God intended for them. Because my husband is not the man that I married. All my girlfriends tell me, Luke, he is not the man you married. But I believed if I just trusted him and followed him and was his cheerleader, that God would make him that husband that I needed to follow. And now it's not hard to follow him. He's such a godly man. It's, it's very easy. Wow. And I have so much respect for him. Well, that, that is well said in every way. Uh, you've experienced it. No one can take that away from you. You and Mike both have experienced from being lost in your first five years of marriage, not knowing the Lord, to coming to Christ and then submitting. <laughs> I use that bad exactly. word. I mean, that it's a beautiful story. This is one of those resources you really need on your shelf. You need to read it, not only for yourself and your marriage, but for your kids and for mentoring those around you who really need help in understanding what a healthy marriage looks like. I'm telling you what, folks, we can do everything we can do here at Focus to do this, but we need you. You need to be part of the Army Corps of Marriage, (laughs) you know, to be out there in your churches, in your neighborhoods, mentoring couples, helping couples, living it in such a way that they say, how do you do it so well? And that it's real. And this is one of those resources from Lucille Williams from Me to We, a premarital guide for the bride and groom to be. Uh, Nice rhyme, by the way. (laughs) It's an excellent resource filled with more uh, than we had time to cover here today. And remember, when you order a resource from Focus on the Family Canada, a part of your purchase goes right back to helping marriages thrive in Christ, saving a baby's life. There's so much that Focus on the Family Canada does with those resources that you provide. So uh, pick up that resource through Focus on the Family Canada. Help yourself, help those around you, and help Focus Canada. Lucille's book really is a wonderful tool to share with an engaged couple or a single adult who's thinking about marriage in the near future. Uh, Our number here to get your copy is 800, the letter A in the word family, or donate and request that book when you're at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. 